0: Hi everybody, this is Dr. Eric Coram, founder of AIM-7. Welcome back to The Blueprint, where we distill cutting edge science, leadership, and life skills into simple tactics optimized for your busy lifestyle and goals. Today's episode is a continuation in a series I'm doing on how to build adaptive capacity, which will enable you to take on more stress with less physical and mental cost. Building adaptive capacity is the key to being a high performer in your profession, your personal life, and improving your physical and psychological health and performance today's episode focuses on sleep which is the first pillar in a building adaptive capacity because adaptation essentially boils down to the right dose of rest and the right dose of stress and sleep is the primary contributor to the rest side of the equation in the last episode we discussed why we sleep and in this episode i'll be detailing the behaviors tools and supplements you can use to create the conditions for restful and fulfilling sleep. And if you haven't already, make sure you grab a copy of my free ultimate sleep cheat sheet. The link is in the show notes. A couple episodes ago, I mentioned that the number one behavior that you can adopt, which is going to set your body up for achieving a state of allostasis, is anchoring your circadian clock by viewing sunlight. You see, sunlight is what's called the primary Zeitgeber or time giver, and there's external things in our environment, or things that we do that can impact our circadian clock. Viewing sunlight, exercise, and food are just a few. But sunlight is the primary anchor, the time giver. So when light enters your eyes, it sends a signal to something called the suprachiasmatic nucleus, which sits above the roof of your mouth and is part of the hypothalamus. And the SCN is your circadian pacemaker. And what happens is is when light enters the eyes and it sends a signal to the SCN, the SCN then sends a signal to the rest of the body that it's time to wake up and be alert. And it does this in two ways. One, uh, it increases your body temperature. Number two, it increases cortisol. You get this big spike in cortisol, which is phenomenal. Cortisol gets a really bad rap, but it actually is the thing that helps you feel, one of the things that helps you feel really alert. In addition, it kind of kicks off this internal time clock that like 12 to 15 hours later to increase melatonin, which is the sleepy hormone. Melatonin is also an antioxidant, and I've discussed that in previous episodes. And this process is driven by the quality and the intensity of light that you can view early in the day. So when the sun is low on the horizon at a low solar angle, it has a special quality of light that wakes up the nervous system. It also helps with hormone regulation and sets you up for a really good control of your state of alertness or calmness or how you can regulate your autonomic nervous system. This also helps with dopamine production, which is the molecule of motivation. And when dopamine gets drained, it's gonna be really, really hard for you to consistently pursue difficult goals. So all you need is about five to 10 minutes of early morning sun exposure. Again, do not do this through a window. It is significantly less effective. And even if it's cloudy, you may have to be outside a little bit longer, but the process still works. It's still more effective than turning on an overhead light in the house. Okay, so if light is an alerting mechanism in the morning, it's an alerting mechanism all day long. So if you want to create the conditions for restful and fulfilling sleep, you need to start by anchoring your circadian clock in the morning. Then you need to start avoiding light in the evening. When the sun goes down, the lights in your house should start to dim, especially overhead lights, because you are very sensitive to light in the evening, and this will disrupt melatonin production. So if you have to get up and go to the bathroom in the middle of the night, do not flip on overhead lights. That'll just like immediately decrease melatonin, okay? So what you wanna do is, is you wanna start dimming the lights around the house, try to keep overhead lights off. Specifically, do not look at bright light or any light between the hours of 11 p.m. and 4 a.m. Now, if you know you're gonna have to be up, viewing sunlight around sunset can partially offset the negative effects of viewing light at night but you definitely want to avoid this behavior at all costs okay because this will set you up for restful and fulfilling sleep now there are three factors that you need to consider when you start planning out your sleep schedule the number one is duration number two is timing and number three is consistency the average adult needs seven to nine hours of sleep each night if they want to thrive there is an inverted you relationship with the seven to nine hours I just mentioned in type two diabetes or risk of type two diabetes. That means that people that sleep less than seven hours or more than nine hours are a greater risk. The same relationship uh, exists for cardiovascular health. In regards to longevity, this is super interesting. One of the best ways to study the effects of behavior is to study twins because they're so genetically similar. There was a study of over 21,000 twins over 20 years that found that sleeping less than seven hours a night increased all-cause mortality by 24%. That is a massive increase. So you definitely want to be within that seven to nine hour range. Now, there's some of you that are listening that are probably like, you know what, I do great off of six and a half hours or six hours. I would strongly push back on that because you're probably not that person with the genetic polymorphism that can sleep for five and a half hours a night and be great. There are very, very few people, like a fraction of a percent of people that can actually thrive on less than seven hours a night. So the next one is timing. And yes, when you go to bed, the timing of your bedtime really matters. So not all eight hours are the same. Meaning if I go to bed at one and wake up at nine, that's not the same as you know, uh, 10 to six. There was a paper done by researchers at the University of Colorado and the Broad Institute at Harvard and MIT. And they found that going to bed earlier and waking up earlier by one hour can reduce the risk of major depression by 23%. Now, this was a very robust study with over 800,000 people in the UK biobank. They used genetic data from 23MEs, sleep tracking and questionnaires, and they were able to look at the difference between morning and evening people, genetically predisposed morning and evening people. Interestingly enough, Only about 9% of people that they studied were truly evening people. Most people that say they're a night owl are a night owl because of their behaviors. Late night social media, TV, they're keeping themselves up. And here's what they found. People that are early risers had a significant reduction in the risk of depression. Now this group of people on average went to bed around 11 p.m. and woke up about 6 a.m. So they're hitting about that seven hour mark. These researchers found that if you shift the midpoint of sleep one hour earlier, so let's say instead of going to bed at 1 a.m., you went to bed at 12 uh, p.m. or 12 a.m., you decreased your risk of major depression by 23%. If you shifted it back another hour, there was a reduction in approximately 40%. Now, why is this? This is what they concluded the people that are early risers have greater. Early morning sun exposure, which, as I said, triggers a cascade of hormonal and neurological events that impact your mood. So it is really important that you get seven to nine hours of sleep. It's also important that you're not staying up too late. Ideally, you should be in bed between 10 to 11, definitely before midnight. Now, if you're sleeping, going to bed at like 2 a.m., gradually pull it back, you know, maybe half an hour for a week, then pull back another half an hour, Do this over time. The research is pretty clear. It's gonna help your mood. Another thing is, and the third piece is the consistency of your sleep. There's this phenomenon called social jet lag. And it's typically the result of this. You have a sleep schedule that you adhere to during the week, and then you change it on the weekend. You maybe have a later onset or more variability. This can lead to fatigue, poor focus and mood. Just think about being jet lagged. You're also opening yourself up for a greater risk of depression, weight gain, and an increased risk for cardiometabolic diseases. Now I want to shift our attention to your sleep environment. This is classically referred to as sleep hygiene. Here's the thing. I want you to sleep in a room that's like a cave. It's cold, dark, and quiet. Remember what I said happens when you view sunlight in the morning, that suprachiasmatic nucleus sends a signal to all your cells to wake up by increasing your temperature. So when you go to bed, you want to decrease your temperature. All right, so I highly recommend that your room be about 69 degrees or less. I know that there's a lot of you that sleep with somebody else. So this may be a a conversation to be had but keeping the room cool is a very important part of being able to fall asleep quickly choosing the right sheets i'm going to talk about a couple tools you can use here in a second the next thing is dark okay so if light is an alerting mechanism in the morning you want to keep your room as dark as possible if you're traveling a lot you know if there's light coming in underneath the door at a hotel roll up a towel put it there um, you do not want any light coming into the room at all. Turn your phone over. Try not to have a um, an alarm clock with bright light. And the last thing is quiet. You want minimal perturbations and noise because for some people they're very sensitive to noise and that can wake them up. So this is going to lead us to some tools that you can use. All right, let's start with the cold part. Um, if you have a spouse or you know that that really likes to have a hot room for some reason, and that's kind of their thing. Uh, first, make sure that you have really breathable sheets. That's a underestimated part of creating a good sleep environment. Make sure you have high quality sheets. Number two, you can invest if you have the financial resources in something like an Uller or a Chili Pad for your bed. By sleeping on a device um, that can circulate Cool water, it can actually keep your core temperature down and it can usher you into sleep a lot faster because you're able to cool the body a lot quicker. A trick for this too is just taking a warm shower at night. You would think, man, I take a warm shower, it's actually going to heat me up. It has the opposite effect because your body's then going to have to cool itself. So you'll be able to cool yourself down faster. All right, in regards to having a dark room, I highly recommend blackout curtains. Uh, If you can't afford blackout curtains, you can take uh, trash bags and kind of tape up areas in your room where light is seeping through. Even cheaper uh, solution would be having a sleep mask. And in regards to noise, okay, a white noise maker. I like to use the app Endel. It uses your wearable device. It uses your Apple Watch to create AI soundscapes as they like to call them. And it's something that I use during work sprints, but they also have this cool sleep function that goes from kind of sounding like waves to this really monotonous tone that I find very pleasing and helps put me to sleep. If you sleep with somebody that snores, earplugs are probably a really good option. Uh, That is probably one of the worst things if you're traveling, you have to sleep with somebody that snores and you're not used to being in the same bedroom, that can totally wreck you. So if you travel a lot, make sure you bring earplugs. So key guidelines, anchor your circadian clock with five to 10 minutes of early morning, bright sunlight exposure. Don't stare at the sun, you know, just kind of look in the direction of the sun. Seven to nine hours of sleep, you, be, you want to be going to bed uh, definitely before midnight, 10 to 11 is ideal, and keep a consistent sleep schedule to prevent jet lag. Now we're going to discuss supplements. Before taking any supplements, please check with your physician to make sure that there's no contraindications for you taking them. In my opinion, supplements are the last thing you should be focused on regarding your sleep. But once you've nailed all the behaviors we discussed and your sleep hygiene is on point, then this may be of benefit. Let's start with melatonin, that's the big one. I'm not a huge fan of regular usage because melatonin release can be improved through viewing early morning sunlight and in general sun exposure, specifically in the near-infrared spectrum. We did a great podcast with the CEO of Saunaspace, Brian, on that subject. Go check that one out if you wanna learn more about that. But melatonin is a powerful antioxidant, and there is some research to suggest supplementation could have a neuroprotective uh, effect, but if you're getting good sunlight exposure and generally being outside and not viewing light late at night, you should be pretty good. But if you're experiencing some irregularity in your sleep patterns, maybe you're traveling a lot or you're just going through one of those stressful periods in life, intermittent usage of a well-tested brand like Thorn may be a good solution for you, but I would highly suggest talking to your physician first. For regulating the sleep cycle, dosages of melatonin, again around 500 micrograms, and they can go up to five milligrams. If you're gonna do this, start with the lowest possible dosage, and then slowly titrate yourself up if that's something you wanna do. Interestingly enough, the benefits of melatonin are not dose dependent, so taking more will not help you fall asleep faster. You're gonna use it, take it roughly 30 minutes before you go to bed, because there's this kind of lagging effect. Now, let's shift our focus to something that I do think is pretty beneficial, and that is magnesium. There's a great systematic review called The Role of Magnesium in Sleep Health. If you want to dig deep on that, go for it. But magnesium is a micronutrient found in green leafy vegetables, whole grains, nuts, legumes, and it's a cofactor in over 300 biological systems. Low levels of magnesium have been associated with migraine headaches, Alzheimer's disease, cerebrovascular accidents, hypertension, cardiovascular disease. I mean, the list is pretty long. And there's some cool research that was published in the journal Nutrients in 2018 that discussed how magnesium has been found to help regulate circadian rhythmicity in both animals and plant cells, and it may prove beneficial for regulating human circadian rhythms. Magnesium supplementation has been shown to improve insomnia in older patients using double blind placebo controlled trials, which is a really good rigorous type of uh, study. Low dietary magnesium is also associated with depression and poor sleep. So if you are interested in magnesium supplementation, I recommend magnesium bisglycinate 200 to 350 milligrams per day. I think Thorne makes a Really affordable and wonderful product. That's the one that I use. Based on what I've read about magnesium L three n eight, it's not recommended to attenuate magnesium deficiencies because it contains less elemental magnesium per dose than other forms. And that's one that's been getting a little bit of pub lately. So there you go. The last supplement we're going to discuss is L theanine. L theanine is a non proteinogenic amino acid found in tea and some other sources. And it promotes a state of relaxation without drowsiness. And it may have some mild cognitive enhancing effects when taken with caffeine. So you may see this in some energy drinks that people drink. It does not have a sedative like effect. So it's commonly used for enhancing sleep quality. The research is so-so, but a standard dose that somebody might take is 100 to 200 milligrams. I want to wrap up this conversation by restating that for 95% of people, if you nail the behaviors associated with creating the conditions for restful and fulfilling sleep, you will be on the right track. Before we go today, if you want to support the podcast, please consider leaving us a rating and review on the podcast platform of your choice. Thanks again for listening and I'll catch you on the next episode.